thankful for Natalie and the, the wonderful privilege to, to be with you today. This is a real joy uh, to be back and to open God's Word. When I say be back, I mean you, some of you are just meeting for the first time. Uh, I grew up uh, down in the next valley in the San Fernando Valley and went to college here. So I'm back. I am alumni. I played on the basketball team. I played on the baseball team here. And so in many ways, I just, uh, I feel like I'm home. And uh, it is so good to be with you. And then I had the wonderful privilege to pastor across the street at Placerita Bible Church and did that for nine years before the Lord uh, took us up north just a little bit. We're not too far away, about two and a half hours. We're right above Visalia and right below Fresno. And uh, we are in a church that's uh, nine years old, Grace Church of the Valley, and uh, it has just been a delight to be there, to, to know Natalie, and to shepherd a group of people. I think one of the unique things when we went up there, there are so many healthy churches in Santa Clarita and, of course, Grace Community, which is where I grew up. But up where I am, you just feel like there's, there's not a whole lot going on. Certainly, uh, there's testimonies and witnesses in some of those churches, but it's just a real privilege to pastor a group of people where there is a definite, definite need. Uh, but a joy just to be back with you, uh, a joy just to walk in the building. And uh, remember the highlights here. Is it okay to say that I lived in a Hotchkiss dorm? Um, I lived right there. I was in, I think, 201 one year and 202. Uh, the next year, and this place has many wonderful memories for me. I came to play basketball. I played at a junior college down south before coming into here, and so God used this in a significant way in my life right about the time that the Lord was getting a hold of my life and calling me into pastoral ministry. So when I transferred in, it was just the, the right timing and the sovereignty of God in all of that. So Anyways, a joy to be back. Hey, do me a favor. Uh, tomorrow, we've got like a posse of people, a group of young men and women coming from Kingsburg um, down for View Weekend. Tomorrow, I, I, how many is it, Patty? Is it 12? Just look for those from Kingsburg, okay? Um, they are going to be here. Love on them. Make them feel welcome. And we're glad that a number of them are looking and coming this way even now. Well, hey, take your Bible this morning, and I want you to look over to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, I want to encourage your heart with what no doubt is a, is a familiar psalm to you, I would think, in Psalm 139, and just remind you of these truths that we find there in Scripture, namely on the omniscience of God, and maybe just to touch a little bit on the omnipresence of God in 7 through 12. But let me go ahead and read for you, and my heart's to encourage you and to remind you of this truth, because really there is nothing more telling in your life, in my life, than our view of God. In fact, the, the view of God that comes from Scripture that you have and hold and that I have and hold really will become the most telling thing about you both now and I'd even say in the next three years. The next three years, that which you put into your mind and heart, 
about God's person, about God's character, about God's attribute is going to be the most telling thing about us. So I'd like to take you to that psalm in 139. Let me go ahead and read 1 through 12, and then we'll pay particular focus to his omniscience in 139, 1 through 6. But follow along as I read it, verse 1. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you." Let me pray for us, and then we'll look to the Scripture. Father, I just thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the instruction that comes to us from Psalm 139 about you. Father, you have told us something here about your character. Father, I'm grateful to be with the students today. I pray that you'd use this word, Father, both to convict but to comfort them. It really is a passage of comfort, Father. Thank you that your word will not go out without returning for its purpose that you set it out for. And so, God, we would just pray. We'd ask your blessing. We pray that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and place it into our heart that we might have a greater vision of you, a greater view of you, a greater understanding of you. And then, Father, in that understanding that we would even find comfort. So we ask this now in Christ's name. Amen. I mean, the opening statement in Psalm 139, verse 1, is the theme of the psalm. Look at it again. He says there, does David, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. Six different times in the passage that I just read, he said that God knew him. In fact, look at it again. He said, number one, in verse 1, you've searched me, you, you know me. In verse 2, he says, you know, when I sit down, when I rise up. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down, a word associated with knowledge. It says in verse 3b, you're acquainted with all my ways. Verse 4, he says, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And then finally, in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Six times, right there in the opening six verses, he declares the knowledge of God. And so as we walk through this text this morning, the opening five verses in this psalm are descriptive. They introduce to us the attribute of God's omniscience. And then verse 6 contains our response to his omniscient knowledge, if you will. When I use the word, and I, you obviously know that, the word omniscience, 
just simply comes from the word omni, which means all, and it comes from that compound word science or omniscience, which means knowledge. And all we're saying and what the psalmist is declaring is that God is all-knowing. In fact, that is what the Apostle John said in 1 John 3.20, that God knows everything. And so what I want to do in our time is just look at three transforming truths regarding God's omniscience that directs every believer to the praise of God. Okay? Pretty easy to follow. Three transforming truths that directs every believer to the praise of God. The first transforming truth is this, student, for your life and my life, is that God knows all of our actions. He knows all of our actions. Look at it in verse 2, and certainly you've seen this before in the psalmist. He says, you know, David declares, when I sit down and when I rise up, there, David is just capturing the opposites, is he not, of sitting and rising. It's really a, a figure of speech. He's, he's giving here expression representing all of our actions. In other words, students, there isn't an activity in your life or my life that God doesn't know about. He knows when you sit down and when you rise up. And this is the testimony of Scripture. Now, you're not going to be able to turn with me to all of the Scriptures. You can write them down if you want. And if you don't get them, you can email me and I'll just send you my notes. But this is what the Scripture declares, is that he's omniscient, that he knows all of our actions. Listen to this in Psalm 90, verse 8. There the psalmist said, you have set our iniquities before you. The psalmist said there in 90 verse 8, our secret sins in the light of your presence. In other words, there's not anything we do apart from the knowledge of God. Our iniquities are before you. Our secret sins are put, if you will, in the light of your presence. The writer of Hebrews declared this in 4.13. He said that no creature is hidden from his, what, sights, right? But all are naked and exposed to the eyes to whom we must give an account. He knows all of our actions. There's nothing that we will ever do that will be hidden from his sights. And then it says this in Psalm 94, verse 8. Fools. When will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? And he who planted the eye, does he not see? Of course, the answer would be, yes, he made the ear. Yes, he made the eye. Of course, he hears. Of course, he sees. The psalmist said in 33, verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth and he who fashions the hearts of them and observes all their deeds. I mean, this is just God. When you think of his character, when you think of his being, he is omniscient. It is to say that he knows all of our actions. He observes all of our deeds. In other words, student, you will never do anything alone. I will never do anything alone. 
The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 168, for all my ways are before you. All of them, every single one of them. Job, it says this in 720, he called God, it says there, you watcher of mankind. He knows all of our actions. They tell me that in some children's bedroom walls, imagine this, in the Victorian era, they're hung in these children's rooms, room, a framed picture, and in that framed picture was a huge eye, and underneath the frame were the words, thou seest all. <laughs> Imagine that. And that's the truth, is, there, is it not? I mean, that, that's kind of that thing with the, sometimes the movies, the all-seeing eye. Well, how true of God. He knows all of our actions. He knows when you sit down. He knows when you rise up. In fact, it says in Job 11.11, he knows worthless men. He sees iniquity. And I don't think when it says that he sees iniquity, obviously, when you see that language in the Scripture, we know that God doesn't have flesh and bones, right? God, according to John 4.24, is a spirit. But often when the psalmist or when the Scripture writing writers are telling us about the character of God, it says that he sees iniquity. In fact, it says in Job 28, 24, for he looks to the end of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. Job 31, 4 declares, does he not see my ways and number all my steps? He knows all of our actions is the thought. Job 34, verse 21, for his eyes are upon the ways of man and he sees all his steps. There is no gloom or deep darkness where evildoers may hide themselves. This is, this is what's incredible about his omniscience. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over evil and good. It's the testimony of Scripture. Proverbs 5.21, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all of his past. Think about it this way, student, and you know this. Nobody knew, fair, that Cain ruthlessly murdered his brother, so he thought, because it was probably just Cain and his brother. But God knew, and God saw, and God called Cain on his sin. He knows all of our actions. Nobody knew, so he thought, did Achan, when he went in and took was what was under the ban. Remember when the walls fell and Achan went in and must have been quite a scene. The walls just fell down flat and there must have been commotion and dust and debris. And he goes in and he steals the things. He takes them. He takes them back to the camp. He goes into his tent. He somehow uh, goes into his tent, buries those things into the ground in his tent, and he thought nobody knew. But God knew, and God exposed his sin, did he not? Nobody knew that David, in a lustful, foolish act, committed adultery with Bathsheba, so he thought, but God knew. But listen, students, to you and to me, it says in Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. 
And I don't say that to scare you or to scare me because I do think in Psalm 139, the context here is that David is running from his enemies. But it's enough to say that he knows when we sit down and when we rise up that he knows all of our actions. He knows our actions by day. He knows our action by night. I think of a guy that uh, I was pastoring in Chicago. He's a dear friend of mine. And he called me on the phone, and he was a really funny guy. Just, I mean, one of the greatest sense of humors. He'd just make me laugh um, all the time. And he called me on the phone, and his voice was stressed. And he, he said to me, Scott, I got to see you. I got to come see you. I thought, okay. I wasn't sure if he was joking. Scott, I really need to come. I, this, this is just urgent. When can I come? And as I was calling up my computer to, to check my schedule, he said, I'll be there in five minutes, and he hung the phone up. And I thought, hmm, uh, you know, is he joking? Is he, is he serious? And so sure enough, about five, ten minutes later, he uh, just came bursting into my office at the church. And in my office, I had two desks, a study desk, and then I had a desk where I met with people. And on that desk, you can picture this, was just kind of one of those glass tops that went over the wood at just a clear glass. And I remember he came in, and I can just tell he was crying. And I'm just, just kind of looking at him like, is everything okay? I wasn't sure if he was, he was joking me. And I can tell he had something in his hand. And he took what was in his hand and just, just smashed it down on the glass. And I, I looked. I wasn't sure if he broke it. It was super loud. And he was just in uncontrollable tears. And I knew that he wasn't joking. And as I looked down, what he put down on the, on the desk there, right on that table, was his wife's wedding ring. Because just 10, 15 minutes earlier, she had taken it off her hand and said, I'm done with you. And gave it back to him. And he didn't know what to do. And he called me. He's a good friend. And, and he came in and I said, what happened? And so what happened, student, was... I don't need to get into all the details. This is some years ago that he was on his computer and he used to travel a lot as a businessman. And you can imagine, as I'm just saying this, he was not looking at the right things on the internet. And he hid that from her. And he hid it for her for a little while until one day when he was home and she went to go write an email on his laptop. And somehow, as she's writing an email, all this filth just came up on the computer exposing his sin right there and she was so angry and mad and livid and took her you know took the ring off her finger and gave it back to him and said I'm done you you be married to someone else and in God's grace God restored them as as a couple and uh, it led to some repentance for him. But, student, I'm just saying to you, his wife caught him, obviously, but did not God know all of his actions the whole time? Did not God know every single thing that he was doing? Did not God know when he sat down and when he rose up? Did God not, God not know every dimension of his life? Listen, when we begin to realize the omniscience of God in light of all of our actions, I think it will change the way we live. 
It will change the way we view things. It will change our perspective of God, not in the sense that he's looking over us, robbing our joy, but to the opposite. He's looking over us and wanting our joy. He's wanting to give us joy, and the path to joy is the path of obedience. I remember one time, too, a guy asked me to keep him accountable in a relationship with a woman, and I said to him, I said, oh, no, you you don't really want me to do that. And he looked at me, and he goes, no, I, I do want you to do that. I do want you to keep me accountable. I want to be pure with this woman. I said, oh, no. You don't want me to do that because if you ask me that, I'll really keep you accountable and I'm going to ask you. And, I'm, and if I see you, I'm going to just, I'm going to, oh no, pastor, I really want that. So I wasn't even really meeting with him. But when I'd see him every second week, third week, i look him in the eye, say, how you doing? His name was Sal. I'd say, how you doing? And uh, he goes, good. I go, how's your purity going? And I'd look him right in the eye. And uh, he'd say, good. And then about three weeks later, I'd check him again and he'd say, good. And then about six weeks later, I checked him, and he said, yeah, we're really good. And then he started to walk away, and I called his name. And I I said, look me in the eye. I said, are you lying to me? And I didn't think he was lying to me. It was just a good question. Are you lying to me? (laughs) And uh, he looked at me, and he said, no, pastor, I'm not lying. That was Sunday. And then on Monday, I got a phone call, and he had not been pure. And he confessed that to me, and we began to walk back through the sanctification process with him and purity and holiness. But, but again, what struck me is he would lie to me, okay, just for a moment, but not think twice of sinning right in front of the omniscient character of God. See, students, listen, when we begin to take this to heart, it will begin to change every dimension of our life In fact, look what the psalmist said in verse 3. He continues. He said, you search out my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted, as you see it there, with all my ways. When he uses that phrase there, you search out, some translations say, you scrutinize my path. It's the ideal of winnowing and, and sifting, and if you will, separating the chaff from the wheat. In other words, God is in the business in your life of scrutinizing it to the closest and most discriminating investigation. And he says there in verse 3 that he's acquainted with all my ways. He knows them by day. He knows them by night. He knows your public life. He knows my secret life. God is, if you will, a supernatural x-ray machine at the airport. You know, when you go through the airport, some of you are going on the go teams this summer. You're going to walk through the airport. You're going to have to put your hands up. They're going to cross you. You're going to pass through that because they're looking for something. Your bags are going to be checked. But you understand, God doesn't need any of that. He just knows it. He just knows everything. In fact, Isaiah said this in 29, 15, ah, he said, you hide deep, as though they're hiding in the deep. You hide, he says there, deep from the Lord, your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, who say, who sees us and who knows us? In other words, the unbeliever thinks God doesn't see, thinks that God doesn't know, and the truth is he knows the good and the evil. Hosea 7.2 says, they do not consider that I remember all their evil, and Hosea 7.2 says, their deeds surround them, and they are before my face. Now, God doesn't have a face. We know that. God is a spirit. 
but he's using an expression, they are before my face, they are before my presence, is the thought. Psalm 69, 5, oh God, you know my folly, the wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. You know when you think that way, you know my folly, the wrongs are not hidden from you, wasn't there something in David's heart in Psalm 51 when he said, against thee and thee only, I have done what is wicked in your, what? Sight. So he then prayed, created me a clean heart, O God. And so this is the scripture. My eyes, Jeremiah says in 16, 17, are on their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from me. Okay? Packer the theologian said, living becomes an awesome business when you realize that you spend every moment of your life in the sight and company of an omniscient creator. So student, let me say this. Number one, he knows all your action. But the second transforming truth is this, that God knows not only your actions, but he knows all your thoughts. Look at verse, look at the scripture again in verse 2. He says there in 2b, you, speaking of God, discern my thoughts from afar. In other words, he doesn't just know your actions and my actions, but he knows your thoughts and he knows them from afar. And, and this is the testimony of Scripture. And you see this all over, such as in Psalm 94, 11, It says, the Lord knows the thoughts of of a man. In other words, he not only knows your words that you speak, but he knows your thoughts before you speak them. He knows your thoughts, just what's in your mind from afar. He knows your thoughts even before you've developed your thoughts. And often in Scripture, when you think of this ideal of knowing the thoughts, the writers capture it that it, in terms of the heart. In fact, here's the statement in Psalm 44:20. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread, our, spread out our hands to a foreign God, would God not discover this? For he knows the secrets, it says this, of the heart. So he doesn't just know our actions, but he knows our thoughts. In fact, 1 Kings 8:39, render to each whose heart you know. And again, he's not talking about the heart as an organ, but he's talking about the heart as the dimension of our thoughts so that he not only knows your action, he knows your thoughts. It says in 1 Chronicles 28, 9, for the Lord searches all hearts and he understands every plan and every thought. He knows our every thought, bitter thoughts, covetous thoughts, jealous thoughts. In fact, it says in Acts 15.8 that God knows the heart. Certainly, students, you know that one. It's quoted often in biblical counseling where it says that the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can what? Understand it? That's 17.9, but we sometimes forget the next verse is 17.10, and it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. In fact, look down in the scripture again at Psalm 139. He says in verse 4, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And here he's not just 
capturing that he knows our thoughts. But look at it again. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you, you know it all. And he's addressing there that he not only knows our actions, but he knows all things in the future. He knows all things in the future because he's sovereign. But he knows all things in the future, even down to your thoughts that are afar. And even before you speak a word when you get out of chapel, he knows what you're going to say. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together, which is, a, is, which is enough just to say that God is not only in knowledge, follow this student, of everything in the past, which we grasp. You can look back in the past. But he's in knowledge of everything in the present. But students, he is also in perfect knowledge of everything in the future. Isaiah says that he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that have not been done. Now there's a false doctrine today known as open theism. And open theism, amongst many things, doesn't uh, believe in divine foreknowledge. In other words, it's open, God is open, God doesn't know what's going to happen in the future, so the future is open, so that's the doctrine of open theism. And in that package, there's much to say on that. They believe um, that he doesn't have divine foreknowledge, they believe in open theism, a, a system or a framework called middle knowledge. And in middle knowledge, God derives his knowledge not from his own being, but he derives his knowledge from the will of the creatures. And creatures gain independence, and God becomes the chief executive of a world in which he is the slave of his subordinates. Listen, that's not true, beloved. God could never be, uh, God could, ne could not be God apart from his perfect knowledge of all future events. So he knows not only your actions, but he knows your thoughts, and he knows your thoughts before you speak them because he knows every dimension there is in the future. Let me just say it this way, students, and maybe just expand your understanding of this. Is this statement, is that God knows everything that can be known, everything that has ever been known, and everything that will ever be known, he knows. He's omniscient. In fact, Tozer, in that grand book of his on the attributes of God, said that God, listen to his words, it's a, he's always a bit philosophical but helpful. He said, God perfectly knows himself and being the source and author of all things, it follows that he knows all things that can be known. And this he knows instantly and with a fullness of perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or may exist in the centuries or the ages yet unborn. Tozer said that he knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, all law and every law, all relationships, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones, all dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. End of quote. He knows it all. He knows our action. He knows our thoughts. 
Maybe if I just put it in practical terms in that sense, God never discovers anything, does he? He's sovereign. He never discovers one thing. You could say of God that he is a know-it-all. Certainly, if that was said of us, that would be prideful, but he really does know it all. God is never surprised. I think sometimes when we look back, at least in our history, and we think of Pearl Harbor, and we sometimes call that a surprise attack on December 7th, well, there is nothing that ever surprises God in any point in space, in all of the world, in the past, the present, and the future. God never forgets. How could he ever forget so he doesn't even have to remember? God is never amazed. God would never say, wow, I didn't know that. God, beloved, doesn't even have to seek information. You're here as a student. You're seeking. You're learning. You're analyzing. Do you, God, do you know that God never has to seek? God never has to learn. God never has to analyze anything. He already knows all there is to know. In fact, God doesn't even seek information. He knows it all. God doesn't even have to ask questions. Sometimes he asks questions, like when, when Adam had sinned in the garden and God came in the cool of the garden somehow manifesting his Shekinah glory and it said that Adam had hid himself from the presence of the Lord and God said, where are you, Adam? It's not as though he didn't know where Adam was. He's drawing Adam out. But he doesn't even have to ask questions. He does not study. He does not learn. He does not analyze. You understand, beloved, that he is not growing. And I want you to understand when you think of God's omni omniscience, listen, his omniscience and his knowledge is intuitive. He knows it instantly. It's exhaustive. It's instantaneous. He's not processing something on some fast computer, and it's comprehensive. He knows it all. He knows every detail of every being in the universe and in heaven and hell and on this earth. To put it another way, when you think, what does he know? I like how Piper said it. Listen to this. He said he knows, speaking of God's knowledge, all recorded facts. He said he knows all the facts stored in all the computers and all the books and all the libraries in the world. <laughs> think about that. But vastly more than that, he knows all events at a macro level, all that happens on the earth and in the atmosphere and all the farthest reaches of space of every galaxy and star and planets. And then he went on to say that all the events at the micro level, all that happens in molecules and atoms and electrons and protons and neutrons, he knows all their movements in every location, every condition of every particle of the universe at every nanosecond of time. That's God. This is his omniscience, okay? Piper finally said when one event happens, he not only sees it, but he sees the eternal chain of effects that flow from it and all the billions of events that are unleashed by every other event. He knows all this without the slightest strain on his mind. That is what it means to be God, end of quotes. Listen, this is, this is our God. In fact, I could ask you here, you're at the Master's University. I graduated here, but let me ask you, where did God go to school? <laughs> Who taught God? Doesn't Isaiah say that in 40? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? And who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? The answer is no one. 
In fact, students, if you could grasp it with me, it tells us this in Psalm 147.4, that every single star among the billions of stars that inhabit the galaxy have been numbered by him and named by him. This is God. This is why it says in Isaiah, lift up your eyes and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name and by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. He knows them all by name. And you know what's amazing, students, is though, though God knows all things, we are still responsible to make choices, and those choices that we make have real consequences. You say, for which we are, in fact, accountable to God. You say, how does that work? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> All I know is he knows every single thing there is to know. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. He knows exactly what you're thinking. He knows what you're thinking before you speak it. He knows your thoughts from afar, and yet somehow he works within his sovereignty, and, our and the decisions we make carry with it responsibility. And rather than deny one aspect or, or another, simply because we can't explain how both can be true, we should accept both in an attempt to be faithful to the teaching of all of Scripture. So he knows our actions. He knows our thoughts. There is nothing that ever escapes from God. You know, there's no such thing as even having a private conversation with anyone, right? But there's a third and final transforming truth, and this may be the greatest, okay? Is that he knows not only your actions and your thoughts, but thirdly, he knows all of your needs. He knows all of your needs, Look at this. It's, it's somewhat fascinating. It says this in verse 5, and you've seen this before. It says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Stop there just for a second. What's your perception of what that means? One text, I think it's the NASB, says you've closed me in. You're before me. You're behind me. And, and there are some people who think, scholars who think that, that David in this context is running from the Lord. So that when you get to the next verse, look at it in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? They're acting as though David is trying to move around the Lord. Or he's trying to hide from the Lord. And even though he's wanting to be secret, if you will. Verse 5, the thought would be, somewhat negatively, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. And so they think he's running from God's omniscient eye. But here, it is just the opposite of that, student. I want to encourage you with this. David is saying this in verse 5. God, you know all things. And in the context here, He's not running from God. He's finding comfort in God. And in the context of this psalm, I'll show you the context. Look over in Psalm 113, excuse me, 139, verse 19. Here's the context. He says in that same psalm, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. 
He says, O men of bloodshed, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And, and do not I loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them, he said, my enemies. So the context here is not David running from God, but David, if you will, running from his enemies in that sense who are pursuing to take his life. So look back again at the text in the ESV. It says, you hem me in. And the ideal of the Hebrew word there is to guard a valuable object. And what the psalmist is saying here is, Lord, you know it all. You even know the people who are trying to take out my life. And God, you are so involved in my life to such an intimate degree that you know when I rise up. You know when I lay down. You know the thoughts on my tongue even before I speak them. You even know them from afar. And what he's saying here in verse 5 is you hem me in. In other words, he's guarding him as a valuable object. In fact, look what he says in verse 5 again. He said, you lay your hand upon me. And it's not as though God is laying his hand upon him like I caught you. It's just the opposite. He said, God, you're involved in such an intimate way in my life that you're guarding my life as a valuable object and you're taking your hand and you're laying it upon me. Now, we know that God doesn't have a hand, but those are uh, expressions, if you will, to help us characterize God, that in his hand, he's taking it in verse 5, and he's laying it upon him. I remember when my son Kyle was really young. Uh, he is at medical school, and we used to just live, now he's at medical school, we used to just live up the hill up here, and we lived in one of those condo units, you know, that, that didn't have the side-by-side -side garage. It just had, the, you know, the deep way. You go too deep on it. And I remember when he was a little guy, he was probably, I don't know, maybe three months old. And you know when a baby's head is just kind of like all over the place and you're kind of holding him and you're just making sure you don't drop him, you know. But I had to, I had to take him out of the car seat in our car and then and as I went to the door, and then our condo was just right up a few flights of stairs, I had to get to the door, open the door, hold him like this, if you will, and then I had to kind of put my foot, you know, in the door and then push the garage door opener on the wall. And you know how sometimes you push those garage door openers on the wall? It's kind of like, you know, and it just makes this loud noise. And I never told Patty, my wife here, that one time I almost dropped Kyle right on the floor because he, he, he was flapping around and his neck was loose. And I'm like, oh, man, I, I, I don't want to have an accident here. So what I would do is I would, I would push the garage door opener, it'd make that loud noise, and it would totally startle him every time. And then I would just take my hand really quick. You could do this if you were a basketball player. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you can, I would just take my hand, I'd go dink, and just right over to his head and just say, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. I gotcha. And I just would take his head and I'd put it right next to me so he wouldn't fall out. And, and whenever I think... When, when I think of Psalm 139, I think, he, student, listen, he knows all your needs. 
God knows everything that you're facing, and he is going to hem you in. He's going to put his arms around you, if you will. He is going to take you as a valuable object, as his child, and he is going to put his hand upon you, and he is going to be behind you and before you and protect you. So listen, let me just say this. This psalm is not David running from God. This is a psalm that is finding David, praising God for the greatness of his person that knows his every need. You are hemming me in. You are closing me in. You are putting your hand upon me. And this is the testimony of the scripture, is it not? It says in Matthew 6, 8, and I just want to say this to encourage you, that your father knows what you need before you even, what? Ask him. This doctrine, I suppose it could make you afraid. It could make you afraid. But the purpose of this doctrine is to comfort you that whatever you fear may be in the future is that your God knows your every need and he knows your every need even before you ask him and you still need to ask him. In fact, it says in Matthew 6, 31, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Listen, you will never do anything in your life alone, but I just want you to know, even now, he knows your every need. He, your Father knows you need them all. Job said this in the midst of Job, as you think about his trials and his boils and his death that was all surrounding him and his family, he said in Job 23.10 that he knows the way that I take. He knows it. There's nothing that he doesn't know. In fact, the psalmist said in 103.14, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. He said in Psalm 56, 8, you've kept, he said there, count of my tossings and you've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? David was finding reason to praise the Lord. Psalmist, it says there in Matthew in 10, are not two sparrows sold for a cent and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Listen, he knows. He knows every dimension of your life, every difficulty in your life, every financial struggle as you think about the fall, everything that you might be dealing with if you go home this summer, or every thought that comes into your mind that causes you fear, as we sang this morning, now why this fear? You can go to him, and he knows. In fact, some of you, maybe this is even a, a, a good reminder in Isaiah 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way, remember, is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? He said, have you not known, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not grow faint and he does not grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable and he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. You say, well, what, what should be our response to this? Look at the last verse. Here it is and we're all done. He says there that such knowledge is what? 
is too wonderful for me. It is too high. He says, I can't attain to it. So here it was, three truths regarding God's omniscience that directs every believer to the praise of God. Here the psalmist is giving a shout of exclamation, if you will, to the praise of God. He's not giving a cry of horror. God's omniscience will change our life, and he should be praised for who he is. Certainly it might cause fear in some of our lives if we're not doing the right thing, but glance down in the psalm in verse 17 there. He said, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Listen, what's amazing about God is that despite all he knows about us, he still loves us. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he said, lo, I am with you. How often? And how much? Always. And so listen, he knows everything about us. He knows all of our actions, he knows all of our thoughts, and he knows all of our needs. I pray for my own heart and for your heart that as we take these truths in, God's gonna transform us into his image. And the most telling thing about my life and your life and the next years before us is what you conceive in your mind for God to be like. And when you know his attributes, his omniscience, and when you know his omnipresence, that he's not only in knowledge of everything, but he's fully present at all places, at all times, with his entire being, believe me, it will change the way we live. Would you bow your head with me? Bow your head as we call the chapel band back up. We have a closing song here in just a moment. But as you contemplate this truth, I think the intent of the psalmist is to lead you to praise of God. And so you can thank him if you've come in this morning and you thought he doesn't know and he doesn't see. No, he does know. He alone is your rock and your salvation. And because he is that, you're not going to be shaken. You praise him. You bless him. You give him glory. If possibly there's some things in your life and you thought this has escaped, oh, maybe an RA or maybe an RD, but nothing ever escapes the knowledge of God. Use that as a time to confess and pray as David did when he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You praise that. Father, I pray. I'm so grateful to be with these students. So grateful that they're here in the hearing of your word and the praise that reflects your person and your character. Father, I pray that you take this word, encourage them. Father, encourage even the weary that you've not forgotten about them that you do not grow weary, that you do not grow faint, that you renew our strength. You ever supply us with all the strength that we need to live for you and to live for your glory. So encourage them that way, Father. And I pray that you, we would see you righteous and high and lifted up, that your character would inform how we live and how we speak and that which we go about in our life. 
God, we're grateful for the privilege to know you. And out of the depths of our heart, we want to live for you and for your glory. So, Father, to this end, we pray, thanking you for what you're doing in each of our lives, Father, to conform us to your image. We ask this in Christ's name.